The bedrock and surface deposits of Pennsylvania span over a billion years of geologic time. Pennsylvania literally rocks. Welcome to the PCPG podcast series. The Pennsylvania Council of Professional Geologists invites you to join us on a journey to explore the geology of the Keystone State and to meet the people who study it and work with it in their everyday lives. Hello and welcome to the PCPG podcast series. I'm your host, Russ Losco. Today we have a special treat for you. Let's join my friend and colleague Tom Wagner on a bicycle trip from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania to the nation's capital and explore the geology along the way and enjoy a couple of cold beers while we're at it. With the final stretch of 2020 in view, COVID-19 has profoundly impacted everyone both professionally and personally. Like many of you, I've had to cancel vacation plans in favor of staycations and find new ways to unwind with those hard-earned time-off hours. Winding the clock back a bit, it was still summertime in Pittsburgh. My kids were out playing while I was enjoying some beers outside with the neighbors. Properly distanced, of course. Small talk, likely about how our families were all coping with the current situation and security of our jobs, turned into how we were going to plan to spend our vacation time once we could travel and how we might spend it should travel restrictions continue. Several beers in, this turned into discussion of how we would spend all the accumulated time off on trips we didn't think were actually possible. At this point, One of my neighbors mentioned they had biked from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania to Washington, D.C. years ago and wanted to do it again. Feeling great after several high ABV IPAs in me and growing weary of a future travel plan for my own personal planned adventure, which was backpacking the Grand Canyon when I turned 40, seemed to be more fleeting under present conditions. So I quickly chimed in with a, yeah, let's do it. Let's make it happen. As you would expect, the rest of them chimed in and said, yeah, let's do it, as one will typically do when inebriated. Well, fast forward three months later, and only two of the six of us put in the planning and training to actually make it happen. What follows is a day-by-day chronicle of one geologist's adventure while biking the Great Allegheny Passage and CNO Trail from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, all the way to Washington, D.C. Day one. Feeling excited, we set out from Station Square, located on the south shore of Pittsburgh near downtown. For those not native to Pittsburgh, Station Square was a major train hub when the rail lines were put back in in the late 1800s, connecting Pittsburgh to Youngstown, Ohio, and eventually to Lake Erie. At present day, the station has been repurposed for local shopping and dining. Pedaling through Station Square, you can see remnants of large equipment paying homage to the historic steel industry and the inclines up to the top of Mount Washington that overlook the city. Mount Washington was formerly known as Coal Hill, which was mined for local use prior to the rise of the steel industry and later shipped by rail. 
Now, just a short incline ride up to the top of the hill and you'll be treated to city views amongst high-end restaurants and condos. From here is where you follow the Gap Trail along the shores of the Monongahela River to McKeesport, where you'll then follow the Yakagani River crossing old rail lines back and forth that are in use and up and down hillsides comprised of Pennsylvanian, Monongahela, and Konema groups. We stopped in West Newton at the end of the day to camp for the night and enjoyed some great beer, conversation, and food at the Trailside Restaurant, which was just a short walk from the Gap Terrell campground. At the campground, you'll be accompanied by river views and open-air amenities, including TV, tables, as well as open-air facilities. After riding 34 miles our first day and camping overnight, we woke up early to a breakfast consisting of the typical mountain house cooked on an MSR stove. From here, we pushed on through several small towns on our way to Confluence. We stopped in Connellsville to dodge some minor rain showers and have lunch at a small local diner, the Valley Dairy Restaurant. Connellsville is also the point at which you begin to ride across a broad anticline exposing sections of the Mississippian Ma Chunk Formation and the Pennsylvanian Allegheny and Pottsville groups. It continues on through Ohio Pile on your way to Confluence where you'll cross several bridges with great views of the river and geology exposed on the hillsides surrounding the river rapids that are well known to the Ohio Pile area as you make your approach to the Appalachian Fold and Thrust Belt. These are also great points to stop and take photo opportunities. Also, not far from the trail, just prior to Ohio Pile, is the location of the Frank Lloyd Wright's famous Falling Water House. We didn't stop for a tour as it wasn't open during our passage after grinding the gears for 57 miles. We were ready to get to our campsite, Peddler's Lane. After some more mountain house for dinner, capped off with a few fingers of whiskey by the campfire from a flask that I was able to find room for in my pannier bags, we called it a night. Day three. After listening to trains screeching and blaring their horns just about every hour through the night, this is where we learned they operated these lines 24 hours. We were a little worse for wear for the next day's ride up and over the Great Divide on our way to Cumberland. From Confluence, the Gap Trail does a little jog northeast through Pennsylvanian stratigraphy along a broad valley syncline along the Castleman River over to the small town of Rockwood. Sections of Mississippian bedrock are exposed along an anticline in Rockwood before heading south toward Myersdale and into another broad syncline. A brief stop in Rockwood for a protein bar carried us through on our way to Myersdale, where we had planned to have lunch, purchase some swag from the Western Maryland Railway Station Visitor Center, and rest before the last uphill push of the trip. Our plans were quickly squandered as a visitor center was closed on Tuesday this time of year. So be sure to call and plan ahead for all of your non-overnight stops too. So, after another protein bar, quick rest, and a few photo ops later, we carried on with our last big push to Cumberland. 
out of Myersdale, and you'll follow Flaggerty Creek southeast up a major anticline, which is the first big elevation gain of the entire trip and entry into the Appalachian Fold and Thrust Belt. During your ascent, you'll quickly transition from Pennsylvanian and Mississippian into Devonian exposures of the Catskill and Four Knob formations. At the crest of the climb, you'll be greeted with a short tunnel under an overpass with a sign and elevation profile signaling you've reached the Eastern Continental Divide and a great stop for another snack and photos before the descent down into Cumberland. Not long into your descent, there will be many opportunities for scenic photos, including crossing the well-known Mason-Dixon line into Maryland, which would be hard to miss given the large stone signs and line constructed into the ground that crosses the trail. Also on your descent, you will traverse in reverse order the stratigraphy you just climbed up through as you head into the adjacent syncline toward Cumberland, weaving in and out of old rail lines. After arriving in Cumberland on our longest day yet, about 66 miles, and a little sleep the night before, our pre-planned stay at a B&B was well enjoyed. We had finally completed the Gap Trail and the first half of our trip. We ate heartily at the Baltimore Street Grill, although there are many great options available, and we sipped on Yingling's Hershey Chocolate Porter, which was just released and making its distribution rounds this time of year. I was especially excited as the beer hadn't yet made it to Pittsburgh prior to the trip and got to have it earlier than I had originally planned. Note that this beer is even better after adding a shot of screwball peanut butter whiskey. Day four. After a good night's sleep, we began the next phase of our trip along the old CNO Canal towpath, which would take us all the way to our nation's capital. For those not aware, after the order of George Washington in the late 1700s to explore and find easy trade routes west, the CNO Canal was constructed in phases in the early 1800s along the Potomac River. The canal was used to ship goods via boats pulled by mules along trails at the edge of the canal. Many locks were created along the canal to deal with the elevation changes adjacent to the Potomac and spillways and dams along the river. Houses were constructed at the locks for the lock keepers to stay at, which now can be rented for private tours and weekend getaways. Trade by rail and other factors eventually led to the decline of canal use for trade which became owned by the railroads later on. The canal sat idle for many years before being signed a National Historic Park by Nixon in 1971. As you embark along the towpath, you pass by many of the historic locks, dams, and structures associated with the history of the canal and some great geology too, which is what makes this part of the trek so memorable for me. We pedaled on from Cumberland next to the canal, passing by many locks with the Waterfield Canal on one side and the Potomac River on the other. You're essentially riding on the trail that the mules once used to walk along to help pull boats within the canal. We made a brief stop for protein bars before arriving at our halfway point, which is the Paw Paw Tunnel. The tunnel is an immaculate, hand-built, brick-lined tunnel approximately six-tenths of a mile long, constructed through the local bedrock to avoid several long meanders along the Potomac River that otherwise would add time and miles to passage of goods from a canal built following the river alone. It has built-in guardrails along the sides of the canal walls for the boats, and the mule towpath on one side of the tunnel now serves as a footpath for hiking and biking travelers alike. 
but be sure to bring lights as there is only natural lighting from the tunnel entrances. It took 14 years to construct, but the thing that fascinated me the most was the unique geological surprise in addition to the tunnel itself. Traveling eastward along the trail around a meander in the Potomac River has you facing the entrance of the tunnel looking northward. A small light at the end of the tunnel greets you to its length and large masonry at its entrance. Overlying the detailed masonry is gently eastward dipping strata of the Devonian Chemung Formation. We took a brief break here to read the historic trail signs, explore the entryway, and take photos of course. Be on the lookout for snakes around here too. The footpath through the tunnel is very narrow, so you have to walk your bikes and just barely wide enough to get around one person at a time. A wood railing is constructed along the edge, but you still have to be cautious. Upon exiting the tunnel at the north entrance, you are surrounded on both sides by the exposed geology and similar masonry surrounding the entrance. When I turned around to look at it, that is when I got even more excited. The north entrance is almost constructed at the intersection of the axial plane of an anticline in Devonian rocks folded almost at the scale of the width of the tunnel itself. Further from the entrance to the tunnel, modern environmental measures have been put in place to keep sections of the rock from continuing to slide along bedding planes along the dipping limbs of the fold in order to keep the trail safe and stabilized for those passing by. After taking several photos to document the structure, I began to wonder as we pedaled on just how the geology might have played a role in the development of the meanders along the Potomac River in this area. Exactly how it may have altered or changed the course of how the tunnel was planned to be constructed versus how it was actually constructed once excavation began into the hillside, and just how well intact the tunnel has been maintained after all these years being constructed into such a geologic feature. From the tunnel, we pushed on around several more meanders and locks along the canal to arrive at Little Orleans for our next break. We had planned to have lunch at Bill's Place, which was a convenience store and small restaurant adjacent to a campground along the trail. But when we arrived, they were closed on Wednesdays. Again, plan your non-overnight stops ahead. So, another rest and protein bar, and we were off from Little Orleans on the last leg of our trip to Hancock. Along the way, you'll traverse several small folds in Devonian and Mississippian stratigraphy next to the canal trail more locks, and some remnants of the old round top cement mill. An abundance of limestone in the area provided the mill with source material and likely helped with all the stone construction for the lock houses, the locks themselves, and dams along the Potomac. A historic trail sign makes note of several fires that occurred at the mill later on, which had to be shut down, and an old photo shows the mill was much more massive than the present day remnants that you can still see. After 62 miles, we finally arrived in Hancock, where we were to stay at in a bunkhouse located behind the CNO bike shop right next to the trail. We had the bunkhouse to ourselves that night, and I can only describe the accommodations best as an oversized adult chicken coop. They do have amenities though, such as a fire pit and dry wood, restrooms, and showers with hot water. For dinner, we took a short stroll over to Buddy Lou's Eats, Drinks, and Antiques. I highly recommend it as the food and service was great with both indoor and outdoor accommodations and interesting decor. 
It boasts a small antique shop located downstairs that essentially spews out across the walls and spaces of the restaurant. After a belly full of food, we purchased some beer to go, headed back to our oversized chicken coop, and planned our next day around a fire behind the bike shop and called it a night. Day five. After a hot shower on a cool, crisp fall morning and more mountain house, we packed up our gear and continued on to our goal of the day, which was Harper's Ferry. Along this stretch of the trail, you continue to straddle the canal on your left and the Potomac River on your right, passing by several more locks, dams, and an aqueduct. You'll also pass through more folded Devonian stratigraphies such as the Hamilton Group, including exposures of the Marcellus Shale, Ariscany Group, and sub-members of the Helderberg Formation. Our plan was to stop in Williamsport for lunch. As you approach Williamsport, you'll traverse through Silurian stratigraphy and into Late Ordovician as you march your way through the Appalachian Fold Thrust Belt. Williamsport is a sizable town with several lunch options, but just be prepared to ride up some hills in the town to get to your destination. We ate at Tony's Pizza and Italian Restaurant, where I had a dill pickle personal pizza. It was a new menu item that I couldn't resist, and it was absolutely delicious. After lunch, we pressed on to Harper's Ferry, passing by several more locks, dams, and interesting stretches of paved path at the base of Ordovician and Cambrian stratigraphy cliffs at the edge of the Potomac River. Once in Harper's Ferry, you will be surrounded by Cambrian stratigraphy not far from the contact with Precambrian basement rocks. Our plan was to camp for the night at Huckleberry Hill, located along the trail just prior to Harper's Ferry. But once we arrived, it was already full as it was first come, first serve. So we had to explore other options. Earlier in the day, we had called Harper's Ferry Campground to reserve a spot as a backup plan. But once we arrived at Harper's Ferry, we found the only way there was another 15 miles of riding on top of the 67 we had just done and had to say no. So we lugged our gear across the footbridge at the edge of the rail lines across the Potomac River and had dinner and beer in downtown Harper's Ferry, all the while frantically trying to figure out where we were going to camp or stay for the night. All of the B&Bs in town were booked up or not answering their phones, as the town was extremely busy even for a weekday. For a moment's time, we even joked just about drinking the bar closed and then could rest easy just about anywhere, even a park bench if it came to it, or setting up our tents underneath the bridge along the river's edge, although we'd be listening to the trains all night. Luckily, the daughter of the person I was riding with found us a last-minute room with separate beds at a B&B after some minor confusion by the owners. We stayed at the Towns Inn and had the top floor of the 1800 building with a private bath where I showered and took the opportunity to do some laundry at the same time. I'm not so sure we would have made it to our destination on the last day without this room for the night. So plan your camping stays and distances from the trail accordingly and how to get there for the time of year you are planning your ride and total riding distances figured in. Day six, after a good night's sleep, our final destination was our nation's capital. Our plan was to push on about five miles past Harper's Ferry to Brunswick and stop just off the trail there and have breakfast. Not far along the trail, we transitioned into exposures of Precambrian rock, and once in Brunswick, we stopped at the Bean at the Belfry. It 
It's an old church complete with stained glass windows and antique furniture with great food, coffee, and happy hour cider and beer depending on when you're there at the establishment. At the altar of the church, you will find the brew equipment and baristas. It reminds me of a much smaller scaled down version of church brew works for those native to the Pittsburgh area and its restaurant scene. After some biscuits and gravy, we pedaled on traversing back and forth through folded pre-Cambrian, Cambrian, and Ordovician stratigraphy, passing by more locks, dams, and aqueducts along the way, and playing leapfrog with a few other riders traveling in the same direction. At one point, while stopping to take a break, we observed a fairly big snapping turtle just under the surface of the canal water. Many times you will see small turtles basking in the sun along partially submerged logs and some fish along the edge of the Potomac when the water's clear enough to see as it was during our trip. We stopped in White's Ferry for sub sandwiches for lunch while watching the toll ferry shuttle cars across the Potomac between Maryland and Virginia. After lunch, we pushed on stopping briefly at the Great Falls Tavern and Visitor Center. Obviously, due to COVID-19 restrictions, the visitor center was closed, but here you will see some lock houses that later on had a tavern added that is now converted into the visitor center and a model canal boat that under non-social distancing rules, you'd be able to walk aboard and have a look through. At this point, you're on the last 15 mile stretch or so to the nation's capital where traffic along the trail picks up and some really great sections of riding that winds around tertiary, Cambrian, and pre-Cambrian outcrops. As you approach Georgetown, you'll be treated with great views of the city across the river with many photo opportunities and a path that becomes surrounded by multi-story buildings of apartments and restaurants. The trail takes a quick jog across the footbridge to the other side of the old canal that isn't clearly marked before ending along a parkway that leads to the National Mall area just over another mile further south. Signs marking the end of the CNO Canal are a bit of a letdown, but continuing on to the National Mall and seeing the Washington Monument, the Reflection Pool, and Lincoln Memorial more than make up for it. At last, we had completed our journey and made it all the way from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania to our nation's capital. We stayed at the Georgetown Inn where they had room to store our bikes. Arriving Friday afternoon, the town was very busy with outdoor seating at most restaurants and we ate heartily. We reflected on our journey and had some great local beer to cap it off. The next day, I picked up our one-way rental truck from Enterprise where we loaded up our gear and just a few short hours later, we were back home in Pittsburgh. Traveling the highway back provided a different perspective of the trip and scenery, much different than the trail passage, especially this time of year, as we had traveled during the peak season for fall foliage. Although the trip is one that will long be remembered, it was great to be back home with family. For those looking for a week-long adventure filled with history and some great sections of North American geology, I would highly recommend making this trek. This podcast is a production of the Pennsylvania Council of Professional Geologists. A special thanks to Cheyenne DeLawrence for our introduction. I'm your host, Russ Losco. Please tune in again for future podcasts from PCPG.